Hello and welcome to Deep Dive, a podcast looking beneath the surface of Japan. I'm Oscar Boyd. Manzai, it's a form of stand-up comedy that can trace its roots back more than a thousand years to the Heian period. And over the course of the 20th century, it evolved to become one of Japan's most popular entertainment forms. It is shown widely on TV and has served as a launching pad for some of the biggest names in Japanese show business. Manzai can, however, feel impenetrable to viewers not familiar with the form, which is why I'm joined today by staff writer Andrew McCurdy, who spent the last few months learning to become a Manzai stand-up comic, and Patrick Harlan, Andrew's mentor and one half of the professional comedic duo Pakun Makun. Andrew, you spent the last few months learning to become an amateur Manzai comedian. What <laughs> what drew you to the project? Well, there were really three reasons why I thought it would be a, a good story. The first of which was basically to introduce and explain Manzai to our readers because, um, like you say, it is one of the most popular entertainment forms in Japan and um, you can see it on TV everywhere. The second idea I had was to find out what makes it different from um, comedy that people in the West are more familiar with. I hear a lot of Western people who live in Japan talk about Manzai that they've seen on TV and they just don't think it's funny at all. They just don't get it. Um, and I wonder why that is, is a different kind of comedy or is it um what's the reason for it and the the third reason why i wanted to do the story is because i quite fancied having a shot at being (laughs) a comedian on the stage myself i mean i'm i'm a fan of comedy and uh, i thought it would be fun and i I just thought it would be a good experience to try and do it from start to finish and then had you ever done anything like this before no 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 i mean i've been on like school plays and stuff like that but a long time ago I've never done any comedy, no. So first time comedy and in Japanese. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps we can turn to Patrick then. Um, Yes, sir. You've been doing Manzai comedy for over 20 years now. Mm -hmm. You are the first non-Japanese Manzai comedian to make it big in Japan. (laughs) Yeah, to to make a living at it, yeah. There was apparently a couple, like in the post-war era, when... uh, Japanese people uh, first opened the doors to foreigners in many different uh, fields, but there are like jihais who tried their hand at manzai. My partner and I were the first ones who made more than six bucks at it, probably. <laughs> and then could you tell us, what is manzai? Manzai is two-person stand-up comedy. Um, for the uninitiated, the most easiest uh, reference point would probably be uh, like Abbott and Costello or Laurel and Hardy. You have a funny man, you have a straight guy. Uh, one sets up the jokes, the other delivers them, and then this is the uh, big differentiating point between uh, Western and Japanese comedy. There's a tsukomi, which is the, the straight guy saying, you got it wrong for this reason. He basically ex- explains the joke, he or she explains the joke. And this is actually the hardest part of Manzai, mm-hmm. uh, which is part of the reason I recommended that Andrew do the other one, <laughs> be the funny guy, not the straight man. And why, why is it so hard to be the, the straight man? Um, because we don't have that culture in America. If we make a joke, we wait for the audience to laugh, and then we move on to the next joke. In Japan, after the bokeh, the funny man, the funny guy delivers the punchline, the tsukomi has to explain it in a concise and funny way. And it's really hard to do. It doesn't sound hard to do, but it is. And Andrew would probably screw it up. 
<laughs> well, but which is not an insult because I do the bokeh. I'm the I'm the funny man in my manzai combi as well. Well, one interesting thing that Patrick told me um, whilst he was giving me advice and explaining about manzai is that the tsukomi is the has to be the representative of the audience. Okay. So the tsukomi has to explain the joke in a way that. Um, that the audience can understand, and that if I was to be the Tsukumi, me being a foreigner, it is like one step removed from, from the audience. And so it would, you're it slightly would, less relatable. Then. Yes, yes. The Tsukumi would turn out being a joke. There's actually been, in the past, there's been a Mantai duo made of foreigners but for both the Tsukumi and the uh, Boke part, and it ends up being a joke on a joke, which was funny for a while, pretty hard to maintain Mm -hmm. and what drew you to the form originally when you uh, when you started money money (laughs) just just kidding uh i didn't really expect to be able to make a living at it um i wanted to be an actor and in order to be an actor in japan i figured i need to know more about japan's sense of humor Mm -hmm. about the word choice the syntax which is funny about the timing about the subjects about uh anything that will help me as an actor make maybe play a comedic, comedic role in a TV show or a, or a movie. Um, the idea was to improve my acting th- skills through Manzai. Instead, Manzai sort of took over my life. My life. And why Manzai as opposed to any other form of comedy? Um, there are very few other forms of comedy. Um, there's single-person stand-up, but obviously a, form, a foreigner trying to just jump into that would have a huge... Uh, obstacle in front of him or her. Mm. Um, there's rakugo, which is sit-down comedy, but I didn't want to do that. I want to do the fun things that you see on TV where they, these people who start out as comedians, they practice their material, they make a break, and then they get paid for doing things like eating and playing golf and dancing with beautiful people. <laughs> it's, the, it's the lifestyle of rich and famous before you're rich and famous. It's great. And you're part of a duo, Pakkun Makkun. Yes. That was how you started out. How did that form? We actually sort of got tricked into joining forces. We were, uh, I was trying to be an actor. He was trying to be a comedian. And a, a Japanese business person, businessman, who wanted to form an agency and represent me, said, if you did Manzai, you would be famous. And if you were famous, I could get you more work. So why don't you do Manzai? I said, great idea. Now, what's Manzai? And he said, well, it's this Japanese comedy. He gave me a videotape of it. This is back in the day of videotapes. And then he set up a meeting with me and this friend of a friend of a friend who was Makun, my partner. Mm-hmm. And he said, you guys should be a Manzai combi. And we were like, maybe. And then this guy took off, the guy who introduced us. <laughs> and he took off without paying for dinner, which was weird because he wanted to be like the president of a, of a talent agency, you'd think he'd treat his for, future talent better. And so Makun and I sat around saying, you know, that guy's a little little squeaky, right? He's a little uh, greasy. A little I, don't think we wanna, yeah, I don't think we want to necessarily work with him. But you seem all right. <laughs> and so he and I just sort of uh, became friends and started practicing Manzai for fun. And then we went to a couple of auditions and got roles without a problem and roles that is uh opportunities on stage and within like half a year we were on all of the big uh comedy shows at the time here in tokyo hi 
And Andrew, you've more recently gone through the process of finding a partner and learning how to do manzai for the first time. What was your initial approach once you decided you wanted to write this article and learn about the comedy? How did you go about it? Well, first I contacted Patrick because I thought he would be a good person to explain everything about it and to give me some advice and to act as kind of a mentor. Um, so we did that and we met a few times and he um, he gave me some advice, he gave me some homework, um, which was pretty difficult. And he also introduced me to someone who had a comedy night every month, um, which I went along to see. Tell me about that. Well, there were about 16 acts performing that night, I think. And to be honest, I went in not expecting much because it was a very small theatre. There's only space for about 30 uh, people in the audience. And most of the comedians, they seemed to be like they were in their early 20s. There were people who just kind of seemed like they were doing it as a hobby. And I thought, this is going to be rubbish, to be honest. <laughs> But then when like the the first act came on and they were just amazing, and then the second one was really good as well, and they were just the the quality was just unbelievably high. And I was looking at the program, thinking I must have seen these people on TV before. I must have done, <laughs> but I hadn't. I was amazed by how how good they were. And when I was speaking to them after, I was really surprised to learn that they were just all people who did it just as a hobby, basically. Um, they they didn't earn any money out of it basically well, if if i remember correctly you actually said to me that they paid to go on yes stage. yeah they have they, they have to actually pay to go on stage and um this is apparently a widespread system in japan not only for comedy but for um, music as well i mean i asked one of the comedians how many clubs comedy clubs like that there are in tokyo and he said probably about 100 or something mm. and that's just in tokyo so I mean, like the the standard is is just unbelievably high. So I, I went and I watched that, and I um, I was just amazed. But I also I had a really good time. Mm. One of the preconceptions I had of Manzai was because it has it appears to have such a set form. We've got two people, and one person plays this role, and one um, person plays another role. So I, I I wondered just how much scope there was for different acts to be different. And you found those actually much more variation yes because you basically have license you've got like three four minutes and you've got license to talk about anything now patrick was explaining to me that there are different you don't it doesn't just have to be a funny man and a straight man you can play variations on it mm -hmm. i didn't want to delve into that because i thought just doing the this classic style would be hard enough as it was but when you watch um, lots of different acts, especially if you go to a night where there's like 16 of them in quick succession. It's just amazing just how different they are. I mean, you just start with, you watch an act and you think, well, why are they talking about that? You know, they're talking, <laughs> for, like, for, what, for what? what gave them the idea to, to make it about that? And mm. it's just unbelievable um, how much creativity there is in it, I thought. What kind of examples do you have of things they were talking about? Well, Patrick advised me to watch a lot of... Um, man's eye on the internet to 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 get a grasp of like what different um styles there are one that particularly um i enjoyed was an act called kaminari who <laughs> like the, the 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 straight man is like he's quite tall and uh, it's a bit like um of mice and men slightly <laughs> okay, okay so you got a lenny and george yeah thing. and the when the Bookcase is something stupid. The straight man 
absolutely smacks him on top of the head and just starts <laughs> screaming in his face. And I remember there was one that I watched, they're talking about which animal is the strongest. And he said, well, it's got to be, um, it's got to be a lion. And the other one says, well, what about an eagle? Because an eagle would just, if you push them both off a cliff, an eagle would just fly away. <laughs> <laughs> Needs no explanation. Yeah. But it will have an explanation. And the explanation for Kaminati is part of the fun. Mm. And the the short guy that in this uh, this set of the straight man speaks with a funny Japanese accent as well and really interesting intonation. Also, he'll for for that joke he'd probably say, <laughs> Right? His 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 it goes up at the end. <laughs> and he'll smack this big guy. And a lot of foreigners will watch Japanese comedy and say, it's just Slapstick, because there is occasional slapping. Like, Kaminari will occasionally have slapping between mm. the Tsukomi and the Boke. But the point is not the slapping. The point is the illogical previous sentence or the, um, the, sleight of, the verbal sleight of hand that gets you from point A to point C without point D or goes, or point B, I mean, or it goes A, B, C, Q. And then there's, you know, there may be a little slapstick to emphasize the tsukomi, but that's mm -hmm. only part of it. I think it is um, indicative of how difficult the challenge was. That So I, I watched that Kaminari sketch and I just thought, whoa, that's funny. And Patrick is explaining why it's funny because of the intonation and because of the particular Japanese is used. Now that is something that would take years of being involved in to understand. And I mean, when it came to writing the script, um, I wrote a first draft and it was really difficult because you're writing in Japanese. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, that's a challenge in itself. But, you know, I, I thought there were, there were some good jokes in it. There was bits that because it was my first time that it didn't work so well and things like that. And it got, the script got revised a couple of times between me and my partner and Patrick as well. And when it came to like the last time it got revised, both my partner and um, Patrick were talking about things that were just so subtle and so incomprehensible to somebody from outside the, that mm. world that, you know, I just had to kind of sit back and think, well, I'm just going to have to let them get on it. You know, they're talking about you know, things of timing or like word choice, very subtle word choice and things like that. And yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a deep world. <laughs> a lot more subtlety to the art. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So actually coming back to that night, you went to see this, what you thought was an amateur yep. comedy night. Turns yep. out they're all incredibly good. Mm. I assume fairly daunting watching that. But how did you actually uh, find your partner? Well, I'd explained to the person who organized the night what I wanted to do, and I'd met him beforehand. And he had told some of, you know, in fact, he hadn't told them because I wanted to just come along as just a regular uh, audience member. But he gave me the, the phone number of um, of some of them, and I phoned maybe four or five of them to ask them if they'd be uh, interested in being involved. And the, the person, um, Nagayama-san, who eventually became my partner, he had announced on the stage that night that he was splitting up with his partner for various reasons. Um, so I, I thought that would be the best idea to to speak to him. But I spoke to the others as well, um, but it was a question of they were too busy to practice or they were involved in other things. I mean, you have to also consider that these people are doing it for basically no money anyway. Mm -hmm. And 
it is a big commitment, you know, to write something and to practice everything. And it takes a lot of time. And how long did it take you between meeting your partner and then that first performance? Well, I had already written a script by the first time I met him. So I showed him that and then he took it away. And about two weeks later, he sent me... I told, I, so first of all, when the first time I showed him the script, I said, oh yeah, make any changes that you, you feel need to be made because you're a comedian and I'm not. So obviously some things aren't going to work. And he sent me the script back about two weeks later and he changed everything basically. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I understood that's what I'd asked him to do, but yeah. you can't help but feel slightly crestfallen. <laughs> <laughs> So, Patrick, coming to the, the topic of scripts, um, yeah. I understand Manzo is not it's not that political. Is no, that true? there's almost no political humor in Japan. There are many reasons for this. Um, part of it is that we don't make fun of most groups, including politicians. Um, another part is just that Japanese people aren't that... I mean, Japanese politicians aren't that funny, and the audience isn't that attuned to political issues. Um, every now and then, a Japanese politician will do something funny. Recently, uh, Prime Minister Abe got quite a laugh with his nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, but even the joke that I just did now probably wouldn't work in Japanese. So that's just a lack of satire as a culture here? Partially, yeah. Um, there's also, if you, if you feel like... Um, denigrating Japanese media and, and comics, uh, comedic society, you might say that it's because uh, people are afraid of the re repercussions. Mm -hmm. um, and this is true not of, just of making fun of politicians, but of making fun of famous uh, personalities on TV or companies. You can't do jokes about a famous brand because they might be running a commercial on the channel that your show is on and if that commercial uh, comes off the air because of that joke, then you're, you're coming off the air for like a decade. There are definitely pressures around um, the outsides. But I think it's more just about the fact that we think everyday life is pretty funny. And you can talk about everyday life um, with a funny person or a funny, the funny guy playing a role that is just a little bit... Um, exaggerated or just a little bit off-center, and that'll be a good joke. No one watches Japanese comedy and gets their feelings hurt, except for bald guys. I don't know why, but bald <laughs> people are fair game. <laughs> They're the one group that you can just pick on relentlessly. So, Andrew, how did you approach the script, and what did you end up writing about? <laughs> well, um, I, I mean, it was difficult to have a clear strategy because I just wanted to try and produce something. But... Um, Patrick sent me some homework the first time I met him to just basically come up with some jokes and for some reason, I don't know why, but it, the ones that I came up with, some of them were related to rugby and I started to think that that might be a, quite a good theme because I might be able to incorporate some of the, the physical humour that I'd um, found funny in some of the the clips that I'd watched and also maybe tie in with the fact that the Rugby World Cup's going to be here to try and make it slightly topical. And then how did that manifest itself into, into the full script? Well, some of the original ideas that I had um, got ditched. One, <laughs> one was to like kind of have a scrum 
with um, a partner on the stage. <laughs> that that got ditched. Also, to play on the fact that, you know, um, Goromaru, the famous um, Japanese rugby player who became famous during the, the last Rugby World Cup, I had a joke that was um, based around his pose when he takes a kick. Mm. Um, so the famous fingers yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. And when my partner gave me the script that he had revised back, he'd, he ditched a lot of those jokes. And I asked him why. And one reason was because um, he thought that the audience just wouldn't get it. Mm. I mean, rugby isn't that, um, it isn't that popular in Japan. So mm-hmm. he suggested that, you know, he said that you might get half of the audience will get the joke and half the audience won't get the joke and it, it just won't work. Another joke I had was um, to compare the rugby ball to an ostrich egg. And that got changed to a big quail's egg. And, and why was that? Well, that well, I, I, could, I didn't understand in the first <laughs> in the first place. And that's what I asked Patrick and I asked Nagayama, and they were trying to explain. Um, one thing was that just a Japanese audience won't really know what an ostrich egg look, looks like, whereas they will know what a quail's egg looks like. Also, the difference in size mm-hmm. is is funny in itself, and the way it sounds. That was one explanation that Nagayama gave it just it sounds funny and that if you don't know it's mm. difficult to grasp but i think it is just generally a case of cultural reference points and i think that is quite important in um understanding the difference between the two styles of comedy so he took your script and took away a bunch of stuff but was he also was he also surprised by anything you brought to the table was he you know like oh this is actually expanding my own realms of comedy and what i think is funny yeah there was one joke that turned out to be probably the most popular joke of the whole thing and that was that was one that he kept in all the way through it and i couldn't understand why the why um the Japanese people who showed it to thought this was so funny and every Japanese person who showed the routine to thought this was hilarious it was something like um, oh Scottish people love rugby so much that if you if you cut us and look at the blood under a microscope it looks like tiny little rugby balls <laughs> and that is it's a, it's a standard kind of joke in western comedy where you just take something and exaggerate it mm. say that line in Japanese this is part of the reason it's funny I don't, know if I, can, I don't know if I can remember the lines because I had difficulty remembering the lines, but it was, oh, what was it? It's got a rando jing, a minna rugby gaski sugite. Kizu wa kenbi kyo de mirito. Subite chisai rugby born in a tirundaze. Part of the reason that's funny is that it's not actually a direct translation of the English joke. Mm. The English joke, you actually say, if you look at um, the blood under a microscope, it's all little rugby balls, which sort of makes sense because. Um, you know, a, a, a blood cell, a red blood cell, is kind of oblong. It almost looks like rugby balls. Right. But the way you translate it, you actually leave out the blood part. You said, all of our wounds look like rugby balls, <laughs> which is bizarre. So <laughs> something magical happened when you almost mistranslated just a little. Uh-huh. And that's part of the magic that the uninitiated can bring to Monzai. I think I got a break that way my first uh, couple of years, probably 10 years on the stage. <laughs> well, I, I, did a, well, I did actually notice when I was performing that joke that the audience wouldn't laugh until my partner explained it. And his explanation was like, 
what's that? I've never heard that kind of joke in Japanese before. And that's when the audience would laugh. Exactly. Ah. And it's, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable for the person delivering the joke because you get no laugh and then your partner's okay and explains it and then the audience laugh. And you think, oh, they laughed, yes. Is that often the case then, that you'd get one person saying something, no laugh, and then it's only when the explanation comes through? Well, that... this is... Uh, this is, for a, a well-established Japanese manzai act, this can be one of the many quivers in their, uh, one of the many arrows in their quiver. They can use this confidently. Um, the bokeh will say something which he might think is funny, might be a good joke, and when it's, as we say, subeto, which means fails, dies, bombs on stage, the, the tsukomi can use that as the joke, as the punchline, instead mm. of the intended punchline. Um, but the first few times you try this, it's really terrifying because it, it, you're jumping off a cliff and your parachute doesn't open, but people are sort of entertained by the sound of your body thumping on the pavement below. <laughs> That's the way it feels like. Um, and it worked really well when they did it. I was reading the script. I didn't get that either. And I didn't actually realize that you were trying to talk about blood cells until you just <laughs> told me in English. And Andrew, how was that first performance coming on stage? Well, I mean, you, you performed in the office here first. And I remember there's actually a video that accompanies your article in which Patrick says... You know, your reception might not be so good when you don't have to go to work with the people the next day. Um, but yeah, how was that first real performance in, in the club? Well, before we got to any performance, the, f the first time I showed my partner the script, I only meant to just show him it so he could read it. But then before he left that day, he said, oh, come on, let's practice reading through it. I thought, oh, I'm going to have to read it, am I? And it was this mortifying hearing my own voice saying it. And um, that is one thing that you is difficult to get over, the embarrassment of doing it. <laughs> because it, you know, it, it, uh, um, maybe it depends on like what style of comedy you do. But if you do something where you are going to make a fool of yourself, then that is going to be part of it. And part of your uniform was uh, a very skimpy skimpy pair of rugby shorts. Well, oh, I didn't know that those shorts were as small as that until I tried. <laughs> I, I, I didn't try any of it on because I borrowed it all and I didn't try any of it on until just before we went out. I didn't realize those shorts were as small as that. <laughs> but also the, the just remembering the lines was really difficult. I mean, um, and I couldn't understand why because... Some of the lines that were really long and complicated, had a lot of complicated words, and I could do it no problem. Some of them that were much shorter and much simpler, and I just couldn't do it. And I just could not do it, no matter how many times I tried. And in the end, um, my partner tweaked, he tweaked a couple of lines to make something that I was able to say, because as Patrick warned me the very first time, this is like, I had this in the back of my mind all the time is that, you can't, you can't mess up your lines mm. because that is going to completely take away from the performance. And when you're doing something in a foreign language, that is obviously um, a big danger. So I had that in my mind. So I just practiced relentlessly trying to get it. And everyone that came anywhere near my orbit just got sucked <laughs> in. And 
um, and seconded to help me with the, the practice. When it actually came to the actual day itself, it wasn't too bad. I think the first time we performed it, which was here at the Japan Times, um, that was slightly more nerve-wracking because it is different when you're practicing and when you're doing it. I mean, even just my partner's voice, I noticed, was just much louder and shriller, and it mm. just kind of... It just made me kind of panic slightly. And, and and Patrick, what advice were you giving to Andrew this entire time about the actual performance itself? The thing is, in comedy, this is one of the most important lessons that it, I learned. And it took me a bunch of failure to, to get there. But if you can get people laughing, even at your mess-ups, even when you flub the lines or uh, forget the script or whatever, as long as they're laughing... It doesn't have to be with you. It can be at you. Mm -hmm. If they're laughing, <laughs> you're winning. That's that's the deal. The other thing was that I was so focused on trying to remember the lines that I just neglected to take into account the reaction of the audience and how it would affect me. Mm. So when we actually began performing and the audience started laughing, I thought, yes, they're actually, <laughs> they're actually laughing. Because I just kind of thought of it as something that only... It was just me. I had to get through it. So it existed I, in isolation yeah. before. Uh, yeah, and then when you hear people laughing, you think, whoa, there are other people here and they're enjoying it. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that I was so pre preoccupied with learning my lines meant that I didn't think so much about the actual stagecraft. So, for example, I was shuffling around with my feet or I didn't really know um, what expression to have on my face okay. and stuff like this. So... When it comes to acting, I always watch TV and I always think acting, it just looks so simple, you know, you just act normal. But I found that my acting skills are unbelievably low. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I tried to I, I tried to um, put something in it on that end, but it, that is really difficult. It's really difficult to do everything at once. Between his first performance, where he's shuffling his feet, what did you say Andrew should focus on to you know make the, the second um, kind of audience or non-friendly audience well, perform this better? I actually told him to stop shuffling around, um, to stand there and be confident and maintain a, a, an even expression. That's, that's one of the things which my partner to told me early on. Um, in the West, we have a lot of really exaggerated comedy. You know, think of Jim Carrey and, you know, as St. Bernard um, sneezing or whatever. It's purely visual, hilarious, awesome. And when we get on stage as foreign comedians trying our hand at Japanese comedy, we think about being exaggerated like that. And it's sort of a bad idea because our very presence is exaggerated. The fact that we're standing there doing Japanese comedy is itself... A little bit of a joke? Well, not necessarily a joke, but um, we are already a very pronounced personality on the stage. Just the fact that you have an accent. Yeah, visually very noisy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you don't need to be over the top. When you're starting out, doing everything with straight expression and delivering bizarre lines with an ordinary intonation makes them even funnier. But there's one... One part in the act where he does the haka, mm -hmm. which is the uh, New, Zealand, New, New Zealand, Zealand All Blacks yeah. traditional Maori dance. And, you know, it's really, that's really over the top. When they do it in real life, they're sticking out the tongue, they're making huge expressions. <laughs> and he was actually being a little bit timid there. And I said, you, got, you, can't, be, you can't be embarrassed or the audience is going to be embarrassed. You need to go over the top with that. 
and then your partner can pull you back into the realm of How did that go well, in the I, actual performance? Well, in the end, because one other um, pointer that Patrick gave me after the, the first performance was that my voice wasn't loud enough and that people couldn't, it wasn't clear enough and people couldn't understand what I was saying, probably because I was too nervous. So I thought, right, I'm just going to absolutely go for it. And I did. I was just basically shouting at the top of my voice. <laughs> and when I did the hack, I was just, I just basically terrified <laughs> the entire front row. So I had to, the, the point was that I would start <laughs> off doing it normally and then I would direct it towards one person. The point is to be intimidating. So I like targeted one person in the front row and as I was doing it, I could see that he wasn't laughing particularly much. And I just thought, oh no, he's not, enjoying, he's not enjoying it. So yeah, when I, when I look back at the video and I just think maybe that was a bit too much. But, <laughs> Just wow. basically me just standing there just shouting at the top of my voice because it's a small venue as well. Oh. There was a microphone, but the microphone wasn't even real. It was just <laughs> decoration. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from the whole thing? And w Would you do it again? Do you want to do it again? Well, we, we got invited to do it again by the, um, the organiser of the night. And I initially you have to remember they have to pay to do this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, initially, I thought no chance because it, it took so much time to write the script and to practice it. I thought, there's no way I want to go through that again because it's just too time-consuming. But then he said, no, we want you to do the same routine again. And I thought, well, why not? Because um, we already know it. We've already done it. So he invited us to come back. Now, I contacted my partner last week to say, well, are we going to do it? And he said, oh, sorry, I'm, I've already signed up to do it on my own. <laughs> we might get the chance to do it again sometime. But um, one thing... So the whole story from start to finish took me about four months. And all throughout that time, all I was thinking was, this is going to make an interesting story. Everything is like in the service of the story. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I actually did the performance on the night that I thought, I actually enjoyed that just for the sake of doing it, you know? Just for the, the whole thing of getting to the venue and getting changed and like standing at the side of the, the stage and they doing like a last minute practice and then it was all good fun you know it was all just really enjoyable for the sake of itself and another um thing maybe a misconception i had was all these amateur comedians i kind of thought they all really just want to make it big and they're doing everything they can to make it big and i'm sure they do mm -hmm. but that's not to mean that if they don't, then it just invalidates everything. You know, they enjoy doing it for the sake of doing it. Whether they get famous or not is by the by, in a way, because they just, they enjoy being on stage. And um, yeah, I, I thought it was just great. I was just really impressed by all the other performers. If you wanted to get involved in Manzai, or not necessarily involved, but if you want to learn more about Manzai, want to come to an appreciation of it, what's the best way to do so without having to become a stand-up comic yourself? <laughs> well, watch a lot of Manzai on TV if you can, or on the YouTube, uh, on the internet. That's obviously where everyone starts. But if you want to actually try and figure it out, break it down a little, analyze it a little, um, try and figure out the patterns. and. A lot of foreigners, like I say, just said, oh, this whole slapstick, it's all, um, it's primitive humor. Some people seem a, a little bit, uh, what's the word, disparaging towards Japanese comedy. But it, if, the more you learn about it, the more that 
the more you realize there's, there's an art to it. Um, and the people who uh, do it well, do it well for a reason, not just because they're born funny. They do it because they practice their art. And the, the steps which I taught to Andrew, I think are probably similar to what most uh, comedians go through. And if they persist and they get better, then you know they make a living at it. If not, they make a hobby out of it. Um, and if they get really good and they can do those patterns off the cuff mm-hmm. without having a script, then they make it on TV. I, I would recommend, if anyone wants to know more about it, to go and see a live show. Definitely. Because yeah, what, what was the name of the place you the place, performed at? The um, place, it was called Asagaya Art Space Plot, and it was um, near Asagaya Station, near Nakano. That's just the venue. Hmm. You need to look up Omoro Shokudo. Omoro Shokudo, that was the name of the event. But So, like I say, there were 16 acts that night, and each act is like maybe three or four minutes. So even if there's one that you don't think is particularly funny, they'll be finished and there'll be another one coming along <laughs> soon. So it, is, I, it was just a great night out. And one, obviously, the one barrier to Westerners enjoying Manzai is the language. And as Patrick told me the first time I met him, it is a language art. And there are some things that the language is just too subtle. The joke is just too nuanced in the language to understand. But there are some things that... Even if you don't understand any Japanese you, at all, you can you can still find funny. I can remember watching TV when I very the, just after I came to Japan the first time, and finding some things funny, even though I didn't know any of the language at all, just because um, it was physical humour that anyone can enjoy. A whole night of that would be a bit wearing if you didn't <laughs> understand any of it. But I didn't even know about Monzai before I, I started doing it, basically, and I watched entirely live shows, because there weren't very many, very many manzai shows on TV at that point. Mm-hmm. And there's still are very few, but the internet didn't even exist, basically. Um, and these, you know, amateur uh, shi, these comedians who are just getting their start, some of these guys that I worked with then are now huge, but a lot of them disappeared. But they have a really creative mindset because they're these, the ones that are just starting out, because they don't know what they can't do. And sometimes you'll go and see something which is just perfect for your sense of humor, even if you don't understand Japanese. Um, Eriki Komiku is a manzai duo who did uh, a sketch about a fast food restaurant. And it was super easy to understand. They said, you know, one guy said, I'd like to have a, a Coke. And the guy says, okay, what size would you like? We have uh, large, larger, and largest. And... <laughs> Uh, super well, size then, me before yeah, super size me. Yeah, I'll take a large. And he said, and a hamburger. What size hamburger? We have small, smaller, and smallest. <laughs> Tiny hamburger, huge Coke. That's a terrible set, but it's a good joke, right? <laughs> and, you know, those guys actually ended up becoming famous comedians. But that humor when they were just starting out, it's just right for me. Mm-hmm. You can find, like Andrew said, it's like going to a buffet. You can find something you'll like, probably. Well, Patrick and mm-hmm. Andrew, thank you both very much for joining me in the studio today. Thank Absolutely. You. It's been great talking to you. Andrew McCurdy's article on becoming a man's iconic and videos of his performance can be found online at japantimes.co.jp. And you can also find all this great man's comedy by Pakun and Makun. Probably you won't be able to find much English material, but okay. look us up. Yeah. Okay. And you can find all the great comedy by Pakun and Makun online on YouTube, maybe. 
Deep Dive was hosted this week by me, Oscar Boyd, and our guests were Andrew McCurdy and Patrick Harlan. If you like Deep Dive, please leave us a review or a rating on whichever podcast service you use. It really does help. And you can find more episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Join us on Twitter and let us know your thoughts on the episode at Japan Deep Dive. Thank you for listening and see you next time.